Hey, welcome to the Making Noise podcast. My name is Adam Kana. I'm the host. We are here at episode 20. Kind of losing my mind. I, I didn't even it didn't even cross or go through my brain at all. It didn't cross my mind at all um, that we're this far in. So excited. Uh, and it's really cool because the guest today is Doug Bielmeyer. And, and Doug is just such a fun, exciting person to talk to. Very laid back. And uh, you'll see it in this conversation. The evidence is all there. But Doug runs a podcast called The Process, a podcast about music and creativity. And he interviews different composers and music creators specifically about their process, how they create music, what they think about. He shows examples of their music um, and how they got to that point. Uh, it's a great, great podcast. He had Alan Tyson on there and Lisa Nair. If you've been following the Making Noise podcast, then you've you've uh, you know who they are. Um, and so yeah, we we talk about that in this episode. We talk about uh, his work as an electroacoustic composer. This technique he he uses he calls windowing, which is an interesting conversation. Uh, we talk about the D major chord a lot. Uh, we talk about all kinds of different things. Our, our, our experience living in Bowling Green, we both went to Bowling Green uh, for graduate school at different times. So, um, so yeah, I think, I think this will be a really great episode and, and I, I hope you enjoy it. But um, yeah, and uh, I think that's about it. So as always, please like, subscribe, follow on all platforms. If the podcast isn't on a platform that you'd like it on, please contact me. I will gladly put it there. Um, and I believe that's all. So let's make some noise. My name is Adam Kano, and I am a collaborative composer. Join me in the search for a career in classical music. This is the Making Noise podcast. I feel I have this like weird like I've already met you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's so funny you say that. It. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I get the same exact thing. Um, yeah. It's always interesting kind of having that experience with someone who you've only seen through social yeah. media or you know. Yeah, and you even know their like speech pattern and like the gate of how they're gonna, you know. Oh, I know they're gonna ask that question because they normally <laughs> do it. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. I feel like if I ever met Mark Marin, it would be that way just because I've I've listened to his podcast for so long that I would probably just start having, hey, remember that one time eight years ago when you had that guest on? That was really interesting. Like, let's talk more about that. And you'd be like, do you want an autograph or can I get back to eat? Or Yeah. Oh, that's so. Yeah. Mark Marin is one of those people, too, because he just. Yeah. He's he's an, he's one like you said that he'll just uh you know his speech patterns. Yeah. yeah. And um yeah. I, I get that a lot too with like Joe Rogan or um Yeah. Yeah. Uh who's yeah. another one? Yeah. Yeah, I can't think of any others, but right. Yeah. That's that's funny though. Yeah. It's, I it's think in college my roommate would listen to Howard Stern mm -hmm. and he would wake up in the morning to Howard Stern and, and this was like freshman year in college. So I just remember like waking up for six months to like the sound of Howard Stern and Robin just like saying the most horrible things because <laughs> you know the show is just like the topics are always just you know shock, shock well, and all. But especially the original, you know, yeah. in like the yeah. '90s when he went. Yeah. Was it the '90s when he went to, to uh, video? This was, I think, this was before Sirius. Yeah, like before he went to Sirius because this mm -hmm. would have been, yeah, showing my age. But this, yeah, this would have been like late '90s. 
and uh yeah it was still i think he, or maybe it was serious at that point i don't know i remember that one guy who was on it like was his name beetle something like he was the black <laughs> dude with the messed up teeth and he was like really short that's right that's right and i want to say so there was robin, robin and then there was like was there baba Booey or something there was just like all these <laughs> people i just and that's mixing with the show Jackass for some reason. I just have like all this horrible media in my in my head. I don't know, but it's all from around that same time, like late '90s, early 2000s. Like, you know, what did we do for entertainment? Well, you know, we just watch people, you know, drive off sea uh, dews, drive like drive off cliffs, and yeah, you know, smash, uh, you know, shopping carts into walls. Yes. Yeah, my my favorite one though, and I can't watch it without like laugh crying. You know, when you're like just like uh, laughing so hard that it hurts, is the one where they're on roller skates and they're in the back of this panel van, you know, or panel truck, and there's it's supposed to be having like a skate disco, like an old roller skate disco, and so they're back there skating and it's like they have disco music and it's all fun, and then the truck starts to basically do donuts in the parking lot. And, and so they're they're just sliding around in the back of the truck, and like probably no one left that shoot without bruised ribs. Like I just I, mean, I feel like, and I'm just like watching that. I'm like I can feel everyone's pain. I'm just like oh your ribs and just yeah. <laughs> it was a very short a very short sketch. I think it was only like maybe a minute long because once the truck started moving, <laughs> no one was roller skating for very long after that. I, I remember that one, and even even just the thought of that happening to anyone. One is yeah. is very funny because it's like yeah. you can't stand at all you're you're going down yeah. right away well and and i feel like there was some type of trick like they didn't know they were going to drive or mm. maybe I, they they must have had to because they signed releases but just the 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 look of just shock on the people's face where they're just like this is impossible we're gonna get seriously <laughs> injured like i bet that happened a lot on that show but yeah i, I wonder how those um agreements worked um like <clears throat> if it was something where in the beginning they're like sign this thing yeah by signing this that means you uh you agree to do whatever it is we put in front of you sort of thing you know yeah and i wonder if you could even do a show like that today you know i just you know like with the litigiousness of of things and lawsuits i wonder if you could even do a show like that today but i don't know things were pretty litigious in the late 90s early 2000s though right oh yeah so yeah well, I, I don't know if you saw, there's the new Jackass movie coming out. Yeah. How old are they now, though? It's so See, bizarre. When they're, when they're like late teens, early 20s, you're like, oh, they'll be fine in a week. You know, they're just, you know, like they'll walk, you know, they're they're doing a sketch the next day. But like, I don't know, what are they like, 40, 50 now? Yeah. Well, in, yeah. in the trailer, I saw the trailer, Giant Knoxville has just like pure white hair. Yeah. So, so he's going down and he's not getting back up. <laughs> I think well, they still do, like, you know, all these spinoffs now where they have like the younger generation. So mm. maybe they're passing the torch to the, to the younger generation of, so another, you know, group of, of people can grow up learning how to bruise your ribs in creative ways. <laughs> That's very true. I, I, I feel like you might be right with that. And it's kind of interesting. Cause it's like, it makes me think about the, um, you remember the Tide Pod challenge? Yeah, yeah like is that the current day jackass yeah because yeah. i i think it's decentralized right like everything else we talk about like the democratization of 
Yeah, so we're talking about the democratization of stupid uh, <laughs> ways to get your bru uh, ribs bruised, right? Yeah. yeah so yeah. now, instead of having to tune in at a certain time on a station, right, that should be playing music videos, but for some reason don't play music videos. Yeah, anymore, right? it's all like, dating but shows. Gone. But that's, that's gone now. That was like a late 90s comment. Now you're just like, what? There's music on TV? No, I, yeah. What's TV? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I think it's all decentralized. You know, so like that experience now people are doing on TikTok, you know, you go on there and if, you know, people aren't dancing or, or whatnot, um, yeah, they're eating Tide Pods or, <laughs> you know, uh, I was I was on a chairlift uh, in Vermont and I was telling a story about how at the time, this was a few years ago, people were throwing cheese, like slices of cheese on their on their children. Like, and this was a fad. It was a very short lived <laughs> bad but uh people were doing this and i turned to the people on the chairlift with me and i was like hey like you guys know about this right and they looked at me like i had four heads they were just like what <laughs> what what even what are you talking about i'm like no no it's a thing it really is it really is and even as i was just telling it to you now you're just like doug i, I don't think that was a thing <laughs> No, no, actually, it's funny because as you say it, <laughs> see, when you when you said it, I thought you meant like throwing cheese from a chairlift. But then no, no, I, no. I remember there were like no. vines or something like that where people would throw it on their right. toddler's head, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. And why? And why? <laughs> <laughs> why? But uh, yeah, you know, to to get likes and and yeah, and to, you know, get a response, right? Yeah. You know, but... I feel like I, I, I feel like this all segues into music and what we do, because I don't know, I, I won't speak for you, but I know for me, like getting a response is something that I've really focused on, I don't know, probably for like the last 10 years, definitely the last five years. Mm -hmm. But I know there's a certain time when I was writing music, and you can share too about this, but um, there was a certain time when I'm like, I just kind of made music to to make it and I, it had to be perfect. And it was this like isolated thing. And it was something that I just did. And it was almost like I was like a monk or something, you know, like it was my calling that I had to do this thing. And regardless if the world or society or my friends or even my parents wanted, <laughs> wanted to listen to it, it was something I had to do. And I, I remember thinking about it, like going back to the late 90s like thinking about it as this sort of like calling. And um, yeah, I would say it's only been since the last maybe 10 years, definitely five years that I, I've now been more interested in about, well, how can I take what I do and elicit a response and and not be just that I'm like throwing cheese at a toddler, you, you know what I mean? Like not have it be something where it's, I don't know, maybe like not, Maybe, maybe like child protective services need to be called, but like, you know what I mean? Like that it's not this cheap hokey thing, but that I'm still expressing myself, but that I'm drawing attention to it. And I feel like maybe, and maybe you could talk about this a little bit, but I, I feel like maybe some people think like, that's not what you should be doing. If you're quote unquote, an artist, or if you're writing music, you shouldn't be you shouldn't even be looking for an audience. The audience should find your, your, you know, genius. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. It sounds silly saying it now, but that's definitely, I definitely believe that it definitely in the late nineties. I definitely believe that. 
I think especially once once you're going through college and stuff, you know, because when yeah. you're in your undergrad and then even at the grad school and stuff, um, you're exposed to so many new things. And yeah. I think particularly in undergrad, that's the first time in most people's lives where their their ideals are first uh, ideals and beliefs are challenged for the first time, like yeah. significantly, you know. Right. And so it's like we we learn about these composers and stuff who've done these like massive things that we idealize and, and whatnot and uh and so i think it's easier when you're an undergrad to to think in a way where it's like i have to be doing this like cutting edge shock and awe yeah you know um the, like yeah like you said like uh this is for a very specific audience that will come to me sort of thing or um, yeah 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 and they're right where they're right there waiting for the next you know sort of masterpiece or or whatever it may be yeah I, I feel like there's some sort of middle ground in there where it's like absolutely you write something that you know like the music you write you if you don't like your music then why are you writing it you know right yeah <laughs> um well but, but but i i feel like i feel and this is my personal belief i feel like i listen to compositions sometimes and i'm like did you did you want to write that or did your teacher want you to write that? Like, or you, you know what I mean? Or are you writing? Did you write that for yourself? Mm -hmm. Because it's unmistakable when somebody wrote something for themselves. I, I can't tell you what it is. Like, I can't list what what it is to have something that you've written for yourself. But it's just so clear. It's so clear that like this isn't the. This is just honest. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I feel like you can hear that honesty. Mm -hmm. At least that's what I, I'm. I'm really drawn to. That makes me think about um, a composer's voice in a way. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you know the composer Alan Belkin? No, I don't. He's in he's in uh, in Canada, and he he has a YouTube channel. Um, I can't remember what it's called, but he has a book called uh, "Musical Composition, Craft, and Art" or something like that. Great. And um, and he talks about like I can't remember exactly what he says about it, but he talks about what. A composer's voice is and it's something that i honestly haven't thought too much about like what makes someone's voice exactly but um okay. i'm blanking right now on what he said <laughs> what, what is what his definition on on, on a composer's of, voice um of, of what it is yeah yeah what, what are your thoughts on that on, on how well i think it could be a really crippling thing couldn't it like here's the thing so he, here's the here's the suffering right is like i just made the statement I really appreciate music where people are being honest, right? Mm -hmm. And then we bring in voice into that, right? So then now when I go to put pen to a paper or when someone puts pen to a paper, if they're concerned about being honest and being true to their voice, uh, I feel like that's just like a recipe to like not write anything. <laughs> like mm. I feel like that could just be so crippling. Don't you think like, oh yeah, would, would my voice would if I'm being honest with myself, should this be an A sharp or should it be a B flat? Well, there's <laughs> the rules. There's rules for that, and we'll get into that. But, but you know what I mean? Like, or should I even be writing notes? Like, yeah. should I be doing that? Should I be improvising this? Should I be using a, you know, like, and then you're not writing, and then you're very concerned about your voice. I, I guess I don't. I'm not concerned. I, I, it's not voice. It's like, that's what that person wanted to write. I don't know. I, I think back to like some groups, like musical groups that I was always just like, oh, that's clearly what that person wanted to do. And, you know, um, I think a pop reference is uh, the Talking Heads. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm a little bit older. So um, 
I, I was too young for the talking heads and when they were really popular, but I remember just like listening to their music, um, you know, even in the nineties and just being like, wow, like, the, like they were just doing something that was very unique, but they weren't just doing it to be unique. You know how sometimes you're like, wow, that's bizarre. And you're, and it's just bizarre for bizarre sake. I was just like, that seems really honest and it's really clicking. Um, you know, Julius Eastman, I, I didn't know a lot about his music. Um, I've always been a fan of of minimalism, and I know a lot of the other New York um, composers and New York minimalists, and um, I've always really enjoyed their music, but I wasn't really aware of Julius Eastman. And when I heard his music, I said, okay, this is definitely minimalism. This is definitely in this category of minimalism, but this seems unique or honest in some way to, this is different. There's, there's something, there's a little different interpretation and it was refreshing. And, and like I said, I knew nothing about Julius, Julius Eastman. So I, I don't even know, you know, I, I learned more about his life and uh, what a struggle it was. And um, I believe he ended up dying in the nineties. Sometimes I think, I think he died in Buffalo, New York. And that's meaningful to me because I grew up in Buffalo. So I just like, he, you know, he had this life in New York and a lot of his music got lost. Um, because he was evicted from his apartment in New York and ended up, uh, you know, he struggled with addiction. He struggled with a lot of things. Um, uh, he, he was questioning as far as his identity and his sexuality. So that probably didn't go over well that at that time it, with the minimalism group, it, you know, and maybe he wasn't, he was an outsider. So I don't know. It's just like a fascinating story. And like, I feel like when I listen to his music, I'm like, yes, I hear all that. I hear like this could be played right after Reich or this could be played at a Philip Glass concert, but it's a little bit different. It's a little different flavor. Um, and that to me makes it honest. Um, but the word voice is kind of tricky. I think mm -hmm. voices, because that that could lead to just being like, am I doing what I should be doing? Right. Yeah, yeah well, that, that makes me think back to what you said before about um, like writing what your professor would have wanted you to write. Right. Or like what some external audience you have in your minds like oh this is what they'll want you know right because we hear their voice mm. right i do at least i do i when i'm sitting down to write i'm like okay i've it, what's the old rule and I, I got this one from a from one of my first composition teachers you can't repeat something more than twice like the third time it's got to be different mm. like just these like and you may have never heard that rule but for me that's like this like rule and if i'm breaking it then i'm going against you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know you know and all i'm doing is like repeating something and obviously i'm a you know big fan of minimalism and, and write a lot of mu music that is minimal in 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 concept so a lot of times things are being repeated and uh things are changing slowly um so just going going back to that um you know, I, I hear those voices a lot and I, I don't know if, if you do, but um, so it's the voice of, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I doing what, you know, my teachers or these outside voices are saying, am I doing what my, you know, audience says? Are there moments, people, yeah. so, sorry, sorry for interrupting yeah, you. Yeah. Are there moments when you recognize this voice happens um, more, like, are there times when that voice happens more regularly than like, you know, or specific instances where that voice will pop up and you're like, ah, mm -hmm. every time I, you know, on Thursdays, it always comes, you know? Yes, Thursdays, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, it's Thursdays at 3.30 p.m. or That's 3 the time. 5 on TBS. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, it is, uh, uh, I think it's when I'm, when I'm not doing what 
I, I, what I just, I, I, it's when I'm doing what I, I'm not supposed to be doing or, or what, when I'm just, when I'm th- overthinking it, just like there, that, that whole, that whole messed up sentence. I, over- <laughs> yeah. right. Um, and I, and I, and I do try to be very sort of spontaneous about the decisions I make. I, I like to like set up a form and a structure. So I have boundaries, but then, um, then I, I like to use my intuition because then that's just me responding. And I feel like that, that's going to be more honest. Mm, okay. So like, have you ever written a fugue before? Uh, I think I might have as an exercise. Right. Yeah. You know, maybe not as like an actual composition and put it out in the world, sure. but as just like an exercise sort of thing. Right. But I, I, I've tried, <laughs> I mean, I've tried and then I get like, you know, so many bars in and I'm just like, ah, now I'm just following some rule and then it gets too rigid and yeah. But I don't know about you, but I, I feel like there's a lot of voices that are often whenever I'm making decisions in composition, they do come up and sometimes they're helpful. You know, like there are helpful things that our teachers have taught us and the things we picked up along the way. And other times they're just imposter, you know, imposter syndrome and oh. other things that are, you know. That's the worst. Yeah. Imposter syndrome is like the the hardest thing that that's like the worst sort of negative talk for a composer. Cause I think all of us have it. Yeah. At some point at least, you know. Yeah. And it's a specific voice. I don't know what yours sounds like, but mine's kind of like it's always this questioning voice that's like, really? You're just gonna that's just a D major chord. Mm. Like you're just gonna leave that on the page there, just like a <laughs> D major chord. Like, okay. <laughs> you know, and it's a very passive aggressive voice. I think, right, yeah. was, you know, like it's 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 like really you're gonna you're just gonna leave that there. Mm. Okay. It's like it's like oh you're you're uh you know you're pretty smart for a kid from Buffalo. You know, like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So oh yeah, you know, yeah. Um. So yeah, that's a bad voice that can't be there when I'm trying to be creative and, and be honest. You know. Um. I've also found too. I, I talked a little bit about this technique of, of windowing that I do. And um, I use it quite a bit um, on the recent release. Uh, it came out in May, it's Ambient Works um, and it's on Albany Records. And um, that's about, it's about 15 years of work. So um, I've, I've released several albums over the, the last five years. And um, this one was more of sort of like a, a travelogue or like a best of, of things that I've been working on um, probably even since grad school. So there's like a few pieces that are even as old as like 2005, 2006. And then, you know, there's a few that are, were written, you know, yesterday or the day before. Um, but yeah, this technique of windowing, um, it, it's really just manipulation of sound files. So I have a source file and I manipulate it and I, and I do so in really basic ways. Um, sometimes to the effect where, you know, it might sound like a skipping of a CD um, or it's a very small bit or very small section of a piece of music. And, you know, in 2021 or even in 2015 or even in 2010, there's so much you can do with sound, you know, and especially, you know, I'm talking about coming from an approach of being an electronic musician or a composer that is using sound files instead of orchestras. Um, there's so much you can do. You could just get lost in a in a sea of well, I could use some granular synthesis here, or you know, I could be, 
uh, convolving this, or, um, you know, I could write a program in C sound and manipulate the sound. So like, you know, the sky's the limit and you could end up working for months and create like a bell. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? There's right. do that. They, they, they like write a piece for a year and it's models the oboe. And you're all like, right. all right, cool. Well, like, I, <laughs> I think you can get a really good session musician to come in and do <laughs> some stuff. But, but that's important work too, though. I'm not, I'm not belittling that because, you know, the, a lot of the great tools that we have at our disposal are because people have been, you know, spending time doing this. But so I, I find windowing really just says there's, you know, you can stretch the time, you can alter pitch, you can alter the sort of window size or how much of the clip you're actually hearing. But I, I try to keep it that basic. So when, you know, you're hearing an electric part in something that I do, and especially like on ambient works, a lot of times there's this familiarity because you're hearing something that maybe you've heard before, um, but it's being manipulated in almost kind of like a glitch aesthetic where it's malfunctioning, it's breaking down. And so for me, actually, you know, kind of going back to what we were talking before, um, you know, part of the way I deal with those voices is just keep it very limited with what I do. Because sometimes the voice is like, well, actually, why don't we pull this over to MATLAB and do, you know, like, mm. and it's like, and it's like, no, 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 we're like going to do this. And, um, but we could do that. But um, so I do actually try to like limit myself in some way too, so that um, I, I can't get too bogged down because if I, if I stop moving, that's when I think the voices come. So it's not 335 or 305 on a Thursday. It's when I stop moving forward with a piece um, that I have a chance to really start to look at it before it's even done and start judging it and start evaluating it. And then those voices, they, they come in really fast. Like, oh, that's a, that's a D major chord there. Yeah. <laughs> that pesky D major chord. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's probably a lot. I think the most recent thing I did had, yeah, it was just D major chord like the whole time. I'm, I'm a guitarist, so the D major chord for me is actually like, yeah. I love yeah, that it's chord. Nice. It's up there on the top, on those uh, top strings, just yep. sitting up there. G chord is really the the home, you know, the, the, the home base. But yeah, if D is like the home away from home, mm -hmm. definitely. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, it's um, <clears throat> when you were explaining about how you you uh, set certain limitations for yourself as a way to move yeah. forward. How how often when you do that have you, once again one of those negative voices, um, felt that you might be just repeating something you've done before, or or was that a worry, or like do you not are you not concerned about that? Absolutely, absolutely. Well you know, like, so I'm doing the voice now, like the voice would be like, oh, okay, great. So you're manipulating the sound file in the same way. Mm. You've done this on the last seven songs that you've done and you did it on a whole album. Like, do we really need more of this? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and so um, one of the things, so I, so the first album I did was Betty in the Sensory World and I did it uh, um, about five or six years ago. And um, it was one of the first, I was like, okay, I need to put something out because I had been working for years and years. And I was like, I need to, to do something. And that first album was really just that process, just the windowing process. So it's about 60 minutes and the label asked me to kind of cut it up into, you know, more digestible chunks so they could actually like promote it on a, a radio or it could. So I had to kind of cut it up and it ended up cutting up into like seven minute parts. And there was, there was natural parts where it could go to a new track or a new section, but that was just windowing. So then I think on the next album uh, on Beast of Bone More, I was like, okay, well, I do all this stuff live with electronics and lap steel. 
let me work that in. And I'm like, I, you know, I grew up singing in choirs. So let me bring that in. And uh, on um, ambient works, I kind of went back to sort of in the box. Um, but on the current project I'm working on, um, I'm bringing live ensembles into it. So live instruments. Um, so I, I, I think I think that's the thing. It's not that I'm not evolving and it's not that I'm changing, but I'm just trying to be really conscious of not doing everything in the kitchen sink mm -hmm. or getting into that where it's like, this has to be everything. Like, you know, I think of Schockhausen and, you know, like some of his pieces where it's like a hundred person choir and there's like a helicopter that lands during the, you know, you know, and it's just like, it's like, that's, that's where you, you go eventually, right? When you're Stockhausen, you're doing experimental, like you, you write a piano sonata and you're like, I've got to go further. I've got to go further. So um, I think I'm maybe like 17 albums away from, you know, having, you know, a helicopter involved in one of the productions. But, but, I, but I think that's the natural extension is like, you've got to do one thing and kind of just keep, keep building on that. And I love this whole album paradigm because you can kind of, you can you can focus on one thing and say this is an album you know which is a more contemporary you know kind of pop musician sort of perspective of like i put out an album and this is the album where i have blonde hair and like the next album <laughs> you know i'll have uh, i'll have red hair or whatever but um and this one will be a beach theme and the other one will be a circus theme but um but but that kind of concept of like okay i'm doing this album let me focus on this one kind of idea or series of ideas that are related um, and, and not try to get too far ahead. Cause if you stop moving, if for me, if I stop moving, then all those voices come in. But if I go too far ahead, um, I can, I can get frozen as well. What does stopping moving look like for you? So um, I spoke with uh, Aaron Rogers. Uh, she's an old friend of mine. A uh, fantastic composer uh, and saxophone player, and sort of um, just you know uh, an experimental, you know, um, motivator, you know, pusher, promoter of all this great and experimental music. Um, she's in like seventeen groups, and she spoke to me about um, you know dealing with having to write an orchestra piece. She she said her nightmare was having to write an orchestra piece and then having a year to write it. And the minute she said that, I was like, yep, that that's, I've, I've had that nightmare. And you're like, that would be great if an orchestra, uh, you know, orchestra would play my piece and I'd have a whole year to like, you know, mess around with bowed symbols and like do all these crazy, you know, things. I'd, I'd invite a helicopter. I'd try to somebody to come in and fly the helicopter, right? But, but, but as she explained it, I was like, yeah, that's my nightmare too, because uh, she worried about it because she would just have so much time to second guess and to really not move. And, you know, I was talking to her and this is something that I really enjoy too, our deadlines, because the deadlines don't let me stop. And so the flip of that is, well, if I'm moving too quickly, if I'm not stopping and I'm not being thoughtful enough, I'm not going to put something out that's worthwhile. And I think the opposite. I think if I if I stop moving, if I have too much time, if I get too comfortable, then I'm going to be less intuitive. I'm going to be less honest um, because I'll have more time to let those voices kind of muck it up. That that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because you're sort of becoming complacent in a way. 
you're not you're not um with with constantly moving like having you know this deadline and then you move to this project and stuff it's like you're always kind of a little uncomfortable or, or not i want to say uncomfortable you're in you're absolutely going into discomfort right yeah like stepping yeah, outside your comfort way. zone there you go you're going into discomfort i like that that's a lot better that would sell more t-shirts that that, that would be <laughs> then you're i'm uncomfortable stepping into discomfort yeah i'm making but, it yeah yeah you should yeah. <laughs> uh but but yeah I, I i like i like that idea i like the idea that you're moving into discomfort and um because here's the here's the other story right too have you ever played this in your head like if you had no day job if you had nothing else to do all you had to do was to create masterpieces of music or or, or fantastic works of music right um is that appealing to you like, do you think that would be a good thing? That's a really good question. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if it would. I, I honestly, I, I do know that I would have to spend a lot of time doing things other than sitting in my office, composing, thinking, right. really. Yeah. Not composing, but just like racking my brain over stuff, you know? Yeah. So what do you do like for, we were talking about um, creative mindset, like mm -hmm. what, like, what do you do to get into the creative mindset? One of the things that I've done for a while, like maybe a few years now is, is compose right when I wake up yeah. um, because yeah. it doesn't allow me to the, um, uh, I have to just jump right in. The day hasn't been experienced yet, you know, so. Yeah. I haven't allowed myself to accumulate all this stress and all these thoughts and all these other things. And, and I'm still half, I'm a half asleep. So it's like, right, right. it kind of doesn't matter what I do. <laughs> and it's like your dreams drift in there. And that's good because usually your dreams are what you really want in life. Anyways. Right. Like, yeah. you know, just like on a beach, like having a great time, like, and somehow you can play video games and also be swimming at the same time. Like, yeah. you know, cause it's a dream. You can do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. I, I agree a hundred percent with doing it first thing in the morning. And I am not a morning person. I, 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 I'm not just like not a morning person. I like hate the morning. <laughs> I, do, I do. I like have like some aggression towards the morning. Uh, love the night. It's a great creative time. But you're absolutely right. If I have to do all the things that I have to do in my day and then sit down now that I'm exhausted and I'm spent and I dealt with that one client or I, you know, did this one part of my job that is really tedious then I'm spent, but I love, I get up, I like pound two cups of coffee and do an hour. Sometimes I do an hour, sometimes I do two hours. And it's just that for me, it's more about, um, it's more about my perspective for the rest of the day, because I, I have a good time. I compose, I get something done. I get something accomplished, but then I find when I go to class after that, if I'm working with students, um, if I'm working with clients or doing a recording or whatever it is I'm doing that day, I feel like because I got my work done, you know, the kind of like the old, like grade school, like, did you get your work done, Doug? Did you do your work? Right. And it's like, yes, I got my work done. So now when I'm going to work with a student or I'm going to do some recording, working on something else, something that's not my passion or, or not something I'm really focused on. I've at least already spent two hours or an hour doing that. And then I'm just like less of a jerk in all, <laughs> in all those other things. You know what I mean? Like I'm a little more patient. I'm like, well, I already got my work done for today. You know, um, I think the worst is when 
like a week goes by and I just haven't been making time to compose and I'm in a funk and I'm just, I need to compose, but I'm too tired to compose and the deadline's now approaching, right? And um, so I agree. I think first thing in the morning, I hate, I hate the mornings, but that doing, putting yourself sort of first in the morning, it's, it's been huge for me. This, this all resonates a lot for me, man. I like, like you're, you're preaching to the choir um, in in every way. I mean, it's, it's funny because I've I've had this conversation with my therapist about like, when I, when I compose first thing in the morning, the rest of the day almost isn't even a problem. It doesn't matter. Cause I did that one thing that I needed to do. Right. Because, and, and that's the thing I always worry about people because like, I should really just be worrying about myself. Right. But, but I worry about people that don't have that thing you know, and it could be whatever, like for some people, it's like they get up and jog, they, they do exercise, but they're doing something like first or putting something first. I even had a student who um, was doing mixing and, and mastering, and he was like way behind on all these projects. He's, he's fantastic at what he does. Uh, he's still in school, but he's fantastic at what he does. So he, he has like a, just a line of people like, you know, uh, beat makers and the like that are just like want to work with him. Mm-hmm. And he just balancing school and work and everything else. He just, you know, he like, you know, we were, we were having a a conversation. He was just like, I'm overwhelmed. And he's like, I have so much to do and I don't want to do it. And uh, so I was like, you know, try, try doing it first thing, putting that first. Um, And I think that was a big help for him. And he was like, not a morning person. (laughs) He was like, he was like one of the students where like, it would be like a two o'clock class or whatever. And you'd be like, that that guy just woke up. That guy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he's still got his like pajamas on. He's like, oh yeah. And you're like, dude, it's two o'clock, man. You're not living right. It's two (laughs) o'clock. He's got his morning coffee. Yeah. 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 His morning coffee. Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You just know, like, yeah, this person woke up a few hours ago. Um, but yeah, so I think that's, you know, the other thing for getting in the creative mindset, um, another thing for me is like drone music and I do actually like write drone music. So that's like something I do as well, but, um, there's a fantastic station out of San Francisco, uh, Asoma FM, and, uh, they have a station called the drone zone. Um, and it sounds like very new agey, like you're like, I don't know, like, are you lighting candles? Are you meditating? And that's cool if you do, but, um, it's drone music. And what I really love about it is I can be doing other things and listening to it. And I can also be doing like technical things. Like, obviously I couldn't be like having a conversation with somebody while listening to it, but, um, but it's fantastic background music in the biggest sense that it is very, very passive and, I, so I'll often be doing the other tasks that I need to do throughout the day. Um, and if I know I've, I'm really approaching a deadline so that like two hours in the morning is just not going to be enough. If that's not going to be enough time, then, um, you know, I'm going to need to be creative later. So I'm going to have to get back into this mindset. And so I'll start just listening to the drone music, maybe an hour before I want to compose. And um, it sort of tricks me into, because drone music is, if you know much about it, it's just like very passive, but th- sometimes there'll be like a D major chord in the drone and you'll like hear it and you'll be like, okay, so then this would be a melody. And I, I find myself, I almost start singing like the, cause it's it, the like classic drone music. It's missing something, you know, it's like missing a component. I feel like, um, and it's more of about an atmosphere or a soundstage. And so I'll find myself just like sort of singing along 
and sort of singing along to to this drone music and then it's like oh wait i'm like being creative i like tricked myself into doing it and then it's about quick quick you know get paper in front of me and you know or um i'm having this idea or i'm having that um that's really clever i don't know if you do anything to like prime prime the, <clears throat> prime the pump as it were yeah yeah <laughs> like the front of the pump yeah. um <laughs> I, I've experimented a lot with things. I mean, I've tried yeah. like jamming out on my guitar, just improvising right. Right. Um, yeah. or or listening to music that that I personally enjoy. Yeah. The, the concern with doing that is I don't want to then write what I just listen to, you know. Right. But aren't um, you really writing what you just listen to? Like, like probably you know, <laughs> you know, like I, I don't mean I, I'm not like I don't mean to be pedestating <laughs> or tell you what you're writing. But aren't we aren't we writing what we're experiencing and what we're hearing? Oh, totally. Yeah. 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 That's a, that's a I, clever approach though, with, uh, with, with listening to the music to kind of get you into a creative mindset. Yeah. Like, like, or music that, that you said it, it's missing a certain component. And so you're starting to fill out those components yeah. with your singing and stuff like that. And yeah. Cool. I think, I think if it was something that you really liked, then I find like, if I'm listening to, uh, Reich or or something else that I like really like or that I know if I'm listening to it I I usually just kind of get, <laughs> I get I either get like really excited about it or I get kind of like well I can't I can't do that <laughs> you know like like you know like I can't it's like a stockhouse piece I can't I don't have access to a helicopter like oh, I, yeah. I should just I should go back to you know accounting or something you know what I mean like right right um so that I that I can find that too. Like if it's too stimulating the music, if it's something that I'm too into, it'll it'll prevent it almost like prevent me from being creative. But. Yeah, yeah, because you're 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 then like certain music demands your focus like that much more. Yeah, to where you 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 kind of you you step out of like being that creative you know individual, and now you're like. Um, a, a listener or maybe even like a music theorist at that point analyzing mm -hmm. from, from a way of like of yeah. like trying to understand the music and not to try to create your own right or something i always do i'm like listening to just the snare or i'm listening to just like one instrument i'm like i wonder how they recorded that and eq'd that like that's kind of interesting and yeah <laughs> you know, yeah it's like you know then you're in the then you're in the weeds and yeah it, i don't think it's it's challenging too like especially um with music that if it's music you've never heard, but it's it's the type of music that you would listen to, like let's just say minimalism, for example, you know, sure. and you're you're exposed to this new composer, and um, you know a lot of people who aren't musicians use use background music to work on their stuff, right? Like, right. oh, I gotta send some emails. Let me put on some background music. Yeah, yeah. Um, what is it like for you? Because uh, so I'll give my my whole experience is like if I'm trying to you know punch out an email. Yeah. And I put on a piece of music that like it's something minimalist, but I've never heard it before. I can't focus on the email because I'm like, I'm in tune with what's happening. <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah. Like, uh, and that's why the drone zone is great too, for like writing, because it's so passive that you can be like writing. I, you know, I like can't be listening to like napalm death and like, oh, uh, no. you know, like writing anything. But, uh, you know, when I work though, it's weird whenever I'm doing like really tedious stuff, I listen to just eighties music. And it could be like the worst 80s pop music, whatever it is. I just, because maybe I've just, I grew up with those songs and I've heard them so many times that I just, it's like a warm blanket. So I like know where they go. I've heard them hundreds of times. 
And so it's in the background. It's a comforting thing. It's a music thing. It makes it more enjoyable, but it's not something that's going to stop and, you know, pull my attention away. I mean, if it's like a new piece by like, I, I don't I was doing something the other day and I had never heard uh, Hallelujah Junction by um, uh, John Adams. And so sure enough, like, I'm like, okay, well, I'm working. I'll just like put this on or whatever. And I was like, I got no work done <laughs> whatsoever. Because it was like you said, I became like the music theorist. Then I was like, then I became the producer and I was trying to be like, okay, how did they mic the pianos? And then I'm like, you know, an hour goes by and it's like, oh, I still need to send that person an email. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's too easy for that to happen. Yeah. It's too easy. I mean, like, it's, you know, we're trained for that sort of thing to listen, mm -hmm. to, mm -hmm. to analyze, uh, also to enjoy. Right. I mean, yeah. um, yeah. But we, we like hold our relatives and family hostage every time we go to like a supermarket and we're like, no, let's just stay in the car for like five more minutes. It's almost over. Yeah. <laughs> like we need groceries. You need to get out of the car now. please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, and then when you're in the car, you get home, it's like, Oh wait, what about this? And like the ice cream's melting. We got to get it yeah, inside. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What is your experience um, with film scores? Like when you're watching a movie, do you ever, how drawn in, how drawn in are you to the, the music itself? Or are you just so engrossed in the film that like the music is just another immersive aspect of what you're experiencing? Yeah, that's funny. And that's how you can tell that's like my litmus test for if somebody's a musician or not. And it's mm -hmm. not like they have to prove anything or whatever to me. But I'm always like, are you do you like to draw? Like, do you like music? Um, if you watch a movie, and you remember more about the score, than than the movie, then you're a musician. And I'll never forget, I went to see this movie, it was like years ago. And it was, uh, it was an okay movie. I think like Johnny Depp was in it. And it was some type of like spy espionage movie. I, I can't remember anything else besides that, besides, uh, besides you know, that, that basic plot. Um, and the, it was filmed fine and all that, but the music was just beautiful. Mm. And it wasn't, it was just like kind of like a neo-romantic thing. It wasn't anything like there were D major chords all over the place, right? You know, um, maybe D major sevens, but, but you know, whatever. Uh, it was very straightforward, but it was just beautiful and it was wonderfully recorded. And so I remember just like sitting, watching that movie in the theater and just being like, oh, what a, what a delightful film this is. What, what, you know, this is wonderful. And uh, the person I was there uh, with the movie, I, I, I turned to her and I said, I was like, she was like, well, how did you like the movie? And I was like, oh, it was pretty good. I'm like, oh, the music though, you know, wasn't it beautiful? And she was like, oh, you know, I, I didn't really hear, was there, was there music or <laughs> <laughs> um and i don't remember anything from the movie i don't i remember it's like johnny depp and i think there was like a double cross at the end or something i don't know but yeah. the, but the but the music was great so you're talking like how do i respond to film um that's one of the reasons why i do love to go see movies in the theater mm. because the sound systems are usually it's a very dead room right they have all this like padding and insulation in the room and then they usually have these full range systems that are just so, you know, can, they can be almost too loud. A lot oh, of yeah, times. yeah. But but it can just be so immersive. So I remember seeing, uh, what was it, Blade Runner 2049 a few years ago. And I saw it uh, more recently in an Atmos uh, theater and like an Atmos version of it. It was just, it was too much. It was like two, it's almost like a three hour movie. So it was like three hours of like at 180 decibels <laughs> it felt like and it but it was just so immersive and you could just hear everything and feel everything um and then of course you know it's a anybody who likes 80s music or electronic music or synths uh i mean that soundtrack and the and those writers um 
you know, are, are, are fantastic. So the music was beautiful, but uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of those, a lot of the Christopher Nolan films, I mean, you have the Hans Zimmer scores and they're, they're beautiful um, in a very sort of cinematic way. Right. Um, and, and that's not always something that are, you know, uh, at least my teachers um, were always interested in, you know, that this idea of, making film music now of course if you go to a film scoring program they would be very interested in that but um you know i i think there's something to be said about just writing really beautiful music or, or writing something appropriate for film and um you know some of that music is just um it's just breathtaking and even uh, like the revenant um there's a piece in there by john luther adams which is kind of you know sort of a more abstract percussion piece Mm-hmm. and uh but it works perfectly in the movie and it's just so striking and it's so unsettling and um you know so not all movie music is like you know new romantic it can be very it can be very experimental yeah definitely definitely i i, I notice a lot of um more recent like horror movies or at least yeah. maybe thrillers yeah. right yeah uh, whenever like um i can actually specifically remember i think it was uh I think my light bulb is flickering. Um, oh, I haven't, I haven't seen. Anything. Okay, <laughs> maybe it's my eyes. <laughs> yeah. Are you drinking enough water? I, <laughs> yeah, I got. I should drink more. There you go. Hydrate. Uh, <laughs> maybe the film *Knives Out* or. Um, yeah. It was. Oh God, I, I just remember my girlfriend and I were in our old apartment in Bowling Green, actually, oh, and nice. um, and we were watching something on YouTube, or whatever, and then. Yeah. I wasn't paying attention and I just heard the music and I was like, what is this? And I looked over and it was a horror movie. And I just remember being so taken aback by like, like you said, like the experimentalism in it. Like there was like some more uh, like bar talk pits and, you know, um, like extended techniques, but then it was also, it resolved to some sort of chord in some way. Like, there's your yeah. D minor chord. <laughs> D minor, yeah, okay. yeah. Because it was it was a scary movie, so it would be D minor, not yeah, D-minor, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it caught my it caught my ear right away. And, yeah. Um, well, and that's kind of what we were saying earlier about like eliciting a response, right? Mm-hmm. So, like the idea that the music sort of speaks to an audience or a listener, not just like throwing cheese, you know, like literally or figuratively throwing cheese, um, but somehow being experimental, being exploring new sounds, but having a way that it it does draw, draw a listener to it. Um, I mean, the really great composers, they'll do that so effortlessly. Mm. And you're just like, oh, that's when that's when my imposter syndrome is like there's no way i could do that <laughs> like you know it's just like you know like oh they just did that so effortlessly and and just drew drew me in i, I yeah you're this is this is making me think about um is it sibelius 2 symphony number no. 2 mm-hmm. there's like i think it's the second one mm-hmm. the the finale is like it starts mm-hmm. off like it's like all fast and like cruising yeah. along yeah. And then it builds up to this huge climax, Absolutely. which which actually might be in D major. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I, and it's this, sure. yeah. this beautiful melody. Um, this like long flowing, you know, like yeah. and um and every time I hear that, I'm like, this dude knew exactly proportions and form right. and, and how to like 
uh, elicit that response. Because every time I hear it, I, I just stop. Whatever. If I'm like chopping onions, listening to Sibelius, yeah. I just stop and I'm like, I'm keying into whatever's happening. Absolutely. And, you know, it kind of reminded me, we were talking about films, uh, the end of Hereditary uh, or Heredity. I don't know mm. if you've seen that. It's a horror film. And it is, it's, if you haven't seen it, uh, it's fantastic. Uh, Gabriel Burns in it. And I'm forgetting the, uh, the lead actress's name, uh, Tony Collette. Is in yeah. It. Yeah. And it, you look at it and you're like, mm, I, I think I'll pass on this one, but um, it's terrifying. And there's a, a final scene, which I, I won't get into details for anybody who's going to watch it, but there's this music that's playing and it is grotesque and beautiful all at the same time. And I'm like, yes, like this. And I'm like, this is experimental music. It, I am conflicted about what I'm hearing. Yeah. And I'm like, and, and I think that's like going back to the earlier definition of like, what is honest. And, and I think one of those factors of honesty is I'm hearing something and I'm very conflicted about what I'm hearing. Mm. It's not, it's not a D major chord. It's not a D minor chord, but it is, but it's not. And I don't know how I feel about that. Right. You know what I mean? Like we keep going back to the, to, to the well on that, but like, that's, that's what I mean. I, I, that's one of those things where I'm like, wow, this person is being really honest because they're telling a story or they're telling a narrative where maybe there's not one answer, maybe there's not two, and there's some sort of interpretation. And, mm. you know, the whole reason why people are throwing cheese, and I don't know why, but I, I surmise the whole reason why people are throwing cheese onto their children or were for one time is that people want to participate, right? And they want to be engaged in something. So, um, I think that's the challenge, right? Is to write a piece of music that can get people involved, that can get people engaged. But if I stop to think about that too much, <laughs> I mean, those voices, they're, they're, they're only a few steps behind me. If I let that voice get into the writing process. Totally, yeah. Then I'm sunk, I'm sunk. This is one of the things that I, I really admire about film composers. And, mm -hmm. and I would love to be involved in something like that in some capacity one day. But I mean, the, the ability to like what you're saying to um, elicit a response by trying to portray a certain emotion or character or, I, or concept in that moment of the film. Um, what was I watching yesterday? Uh, oh, uh, Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Tom Cruise and Nicole lone, Kidman. Lone piano line. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And and like <clears throat> though the moments when that would happen, it's like you don't miss it. Mm -hmm. it like you it stands out to you and like you you feel this thing is happening, you know? And um yeah, the tension, like you were saying before. Yeah. I, I, I feel like there's also that, there's that discomfort too. And it's just a single piano line. And you know, that whole movie is about people are doing these group things together but they're still very isolated and very alone and i and i feel like that's what that piano line is about mm -hmm. and it's a reminder that it's just a solo unaccompanied piano and it's just doing the same thing over and over again and and that's beautiful in that film but you know a lot of people wouldn't be i mean it's a stanley kubrick film right so he's gonna do whatever he wants and he's if they're gonna have a a, a one note piano score like that's okay like he he's comfortable doing that but a lot of directors a lot of producers would be worried 
if it if it challenges too much or if it's too abrasive but i mean i guess after you work in the industry for 40 50 years and you create these fantastic movies that people use in like film studies classes <laughs> then you can do a, you know you can do a movie where the uh, composer suggests it's just a one note piano line and and that uh and that's okay well this this makes me think a little bit um so through through our correspondence and we were, we were talking a little bit of, uh, about creativity and we've been talking about that here too and stuff like sure. that yeah. and i've been kind of thinking in my mind today about like what is creativity and how how does how do you define creativity so i'm kind of curious as to what what how do you define creativity doug oh i don't i don't know if i know the answer to that i don't know if i know how to define creativity um i think it's something that i need to do mm. so um somebody once asked me um it was kind of like a softball question they were like like why do you compose and I was like, because I have this like deep need when I get up, like I have to do it. And I was even talking about like, if I'm not creative first thing in the morning, if I don't get to it, I will physically get, and mentally I will get irritable. I will get agitated um, because there's something very therapeutic about it. There's, it's meditative. There's something, and you know, there's a lot of research and, and people who are a lot smarter that talk about, you know, the effects it has on your brain being creative and doing a creative act, but defining it, um, I don't know. It's the thing that I need to do because the less of it I do, the further I get away from being comfortable and, you know, enjoying other things in life. Uh, but it, it's such a rewarding thing. So it's not like, it's not like I'm addicted to uh, uh, creativity and I like have to do it and it's, it's ruining my life, creativity. But for some people it does, for some people, they, they just have to keep writing and keep making all this stuff. And, you know, we hear these really, horrible stories about Beethoven and about Mozart and, and just other composers in general, where they're sort of, their life is their work, you know, and that's sort of admired sometimes. And like I was saying earlier, like in the late nineties, and definitely when I first started school, I was like, this is a calling and this is a thing. This is, this will be my life. This will define my life. And, um, and so uh, creativity, I define it as it's the thing that I do because it's very important part of my life. But I, I think the struggle is that doesn't define, you know, define my life. Right, yeah, sort of the idea of, um, what's that saying? Like you're, you're not your work or something like that? Sure. Or you're not your job or I, I can't, I don't even know how yeah, it's your voice. Like... It's, we were just talking about like finding your voice, you know, doing it your way, being honest with yourself, but so it is you, you know, it is you. And it, it can be really easy to just be like, this is, this is all there is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird sort of thing. I mean, cause there's, you know, we, we have energies, we have certain energy to be creative in a, in a musical way, like, mm -hmm. which I, I view that as like a, a, a mental energy, physical energy, which like, could be creative in certain aspects, I guess, like, I feel like for me, that's, that's expendable. And like, I have more, I could do that longer throughout the, not longer. I could do that any other points throughout the day. Whereas composing that, like we said earlier, doing it first thing in the morning. If I don't do it first thing in the morning, I can't do it at night. But yeah. if I work out at, I could work out at nine at night or nine in the morning. Like the physical energy is less of a, a thing for me. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. I think it builds up. I think it builds up throughout the day. I, for me, it's, I do uh, at the quiet moment in the morning, mm -hmm. I do this work. And sometimes it's very detailed work. Like sometimes I'm editing a score. Sometimes mm -hmm. I'm doing something very detailed, but it's because I'm the calmest. And I think as the day goes on and, you know, you just deal with people and, you know, like there's just always every day there's like one thing I feel like that happens in everyone's life where you're just like, you have to like, just be like, take a deep breath and walk away, you know, like that. Yeah. And that, but, and so you do, you do the right thing in the moment, but that like stays with you. So I feel like for me, I like to, you know, exercise at the end of the day and then it's just, you know, it's kind of mindless, but, um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to be creative and to be in, to keep that going. You know, you have to do physical stuff. You have to eat right. You have to compose at the right time. So there, there's a lot of other things that going, go into being a composer. Um, because I, I think there's an amount of suffering in it. I think there can be if you are, you know, I hear stories about people like staying up all night, you know, and then sometimes, you know, alcohol and drugs get involved in it. And then that's just like, you know, extends like the, the maticness or their craziness about it. So um, I think it's like finding a healthy creative lifestyle. I think that's something definitely over the last 10 years uh, or so I've been really trying to focus on is like, how can I make this part of my life so that it's important and my life is meaningful without having it be the sole, you know, consuming, all consuming factor. Yeah. Well, and also you, you have, which we haven't even talked about yet. Mm -hmm. Speaking of which we we've been going for an hour at this point. Oh man. Okay. Um, we, you had mentioned you wanted to go for 45 minutes. We, we've crossed that yeah. point. <laughs> we, we, we've, we've crossed the Rubicon, right? Yeah. Sorry yeah. about that. No, I no, you're not to be, I see, I, I didn't want to, uh, I I'm always so jealous of Alan because, uh, of Alan Tyson, because, um, he's so passionate about music. And, uh -huh. and, uh, when I did a podcast episode with him, uh, it was just so fantastic to, uh, talk with him, uh, to talk with someone who took so much joy in the creative process. I feel like my experience is there's a, there's a little bit more suffering involved and there's a lot of kind of uh, prep, but uh, it seems like he really enjoys it. And, um, you know, that's the whole reason why I do the podcast. You know, the, the whole reason I do the podcast is to just talk to other people about their process. And, um, that if anything it's like oh i do that too like or i'm like i absolutely don't do that that's the that's you know i don't say that on the show i'm like no what are you talking about but um i get to hear other people's perspective and other people's ideas yeah. um and so and really that's what the show was about the show was it had sort of a therapeutic idea behind it i wanted to connect with other people that were being creative and, and not people who are musicians or is specifically musicians or not people who are conductors or um, people, but people who are in the creative process mm. and in the trenches and um, either have like, like, like Alan, somebody who finds a lot of joy in it. Um, and then talking to other people too, who really, really struggle. Um, so um, it's been a great show. Um, I just finished up the second season. Um, the third season will be beginning uh, in the fall, um, and we'll have a new round of guests. Um, but it's just great. I think it, it's almost like composer therapy in a way, because I, I think, uh, you know, um, 
we have all different types of people come on and have different perspectives. Some people are writing choral music. Some people are doing electronic music. Um, I even have some jazz and pop artists that come on there as well. And so that's really what the show is about. And um, I try to, so one of the reasons why I was like, we, we should stick to 45 minutes is because on that show, I try to make it a shorter 22 minute, uh, less than 30 minute show so that it's uh, concise and I do a lot of editing. And um, so I was trying to be as laconic and precise with this, but unfortunately, if you get me talking about creativity, <laughs> <laughs> well, here we are. <laughs> but I I am not complaining at all, honestly, because this is this has been so great. Um, and the thing mm -hmm. is too is I'm more than happy to go as if we want to keep talking, we can definitely keep talking. But I don't want to um overstep any boundaries for you, or if you want to cut it, you know, mm -hmm. um sooner than later, that's fine with me. Um, but yeah, I I've, I listened to Alan's episode. I had to listen to Alan's because he was on yeah. he was on the podcast a little yeah. while ago. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and right. I listened to Eric Salazar, the first episode. Yes, Eric, yes. Right. Yeah. And, and he had um, a three-part. In the first season, I was doing multi-parts. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I, I listened to it on SoundCloud, I think it was. Yep, yep. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I love about your podcast, off the bat, is that the title basically explains what the show is. <laughs> so, but but I've like had to put a, like a colon, like the process, uh, a podcast about creativity and experimental music right right uh, but that's so long so you're like hey you can search it and people are like what i got to creativity and then my phone died but yeah <laughs> but yeah i think that's what it, it tries to be about that it tries to be about creativity um and experimental music and I, I made that distinction because i was like i could really have anybody on mm. you know i could have anybody who's being creative like there's so many creative things that people are doing i mean there's, you know, uh, baking and cooking, you know, that could be a creative act. There's accountants that do creative accounting. That could be a creative <laughs> but, but, uh, but would that be interesting for the show? So I had to kind of narrow it to experimental music or I, I chose to. Um, and that's a huge, huge area in itself. And um, like I said, I have drone groups on there. I have electronic groups on there, um, choral composers, um, opera composers, film composers, um, people who don't call themselves composers. Mm. <laughs> They're allowed on there too, because they make <laughs> experimental music too. So um, so I think it's been a great show. Um, and um, it's it's available anywhere. The second first and second season are up on anywhere where you find your podcasts. So you can get them anywhere there. Um, and they're also, I think, available, the episodes on SoundCloud, um, so you can watch it there. Uh, Eric Salazar is a great friend and a collaborator that I've worked with on past albums, uh, not only his own music on his own albums, but he's uh, played on some of mine. And Eric's another person that finds a lot of joy in uh, being creative. Mm. And Eric is also somebody who's like really into D&D. Mm. and uh, that's something that maybe some people would like snicker at and say that's like not cool. But uh, Eric is just like really honest. And he's like, I enjoy D&D. And I, so he writes music that is for people engaging in that activity. Really? <laughs> so like he writes music for people who are engaging in it. And it's like, well, that's not my thing. Like, that's not what I want to do. But um, I feel like when we were talking about honesty, it's like, he enjoys doing that. He knows that community. He knows yeah. that audience. And he writes music for it. And uh, it's really successful within that community. So um, yeah, I think Eric's a great person to find somebody who takes a lot of joy in it and has found out how to be be honest. And, and I think he's found 
uh, found his audience. Well, that's one thing that was interesting with Eric. Um, I didn't know that. I didn't know about him writing mm -hmm. for, for D&D or writing music specifically for those sort of... Right. He does all types, but that's like one of his... Yeah, right. His yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I had... Uh, do you know uh, Elisa Nair? Soprano? Uh, yes. Yeah. 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 She was on the podcast and uh, she plays D&D. And, yes. and we, we were talking about that. And one of the things... I've, I've never played it before. I know about it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I had mentioned to her that that's that's like the sort of game where because it goes on for so long and stuff, I would love to watch people play it because it looks so <laughs> fascinating. I don't know yeah. if I'd partake or not, but like maybe have a beer and just hang out and like yeah. and then play Eric's music in the background. You know, there you go. You could be like the DJ for that. That event. <laughs> that could be a whole. You could do like a whole thing where you drive a, a truck up to people playing uh, D and D. You come in full audio system. You could do surround sound. It'd be great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, It'd be fantastic. You get lights and whatnot. You could dress up like an orc. It'd be a great time. <laughs> oh wow, yeah. I I have um, I have the Batman mask from 1989, like Michael <laughs> Keaton's Batman. So, oh, the original, the original, the authentic, the original. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> um, no, that's just funny. And and so yeah, you know, I think that's the big thing too, though, is like whatever you're gonna do you know, whatever it is you're going to do, whatever, whatever's honest to what you want to do, then do it and like find your audience. Because I mean, I go to these shows, especially here in Boston, there's all these like, just great experimental music going on. And sometimes it's being made by people who aren't even musicians. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess they are because they're making music. <laughs> they're not, you know, uh, you know, formally trained uh, mm -hmm. as musicians. And um, I see this stuff and I'm like, whoa, this is like, this would make the most, you know, avant-garde school of, you know, uh, future music, uh, as cumatic or, or whatever, um, this would make everyone really uncomfortable. And there's an audience of people cheering on and participating in these concerts. So I'm like, you know, I guess wherever you go, you know, there is a place for, for what you do. But I, I think that's the struggle is finding, finding that audience. Um, but, and, but, you know, once again, like we got to keep moving or for me, I got to keep moving and I got to keep writing pieces. So I can't be spending all my time thinking about, you know, is this what my audience wants? Is this what, you know, I can't start asking those questions. <laughs> right. That's a whole other aspect of being a composer where like you're saying, yeah, yeah. Like if you're, if you're thinking too much about the music itself, then it's like, oh no, you're 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 uh you're uncomfortable <laughs> and right. and then thinking too much into, about i love this you're moving into you're moving away from moving into discomfort to just discomfort right right yeah 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 and then the same thing thinking about the audience too much that's oh wow yeah that's that's a, it's a dangerous spot to be in yeah it's it's um i think for me one of the things that like i have the biggest when I have those negative voices the most is when I'm trying to write a piece under a deadline that I'm not prepared to meet. Yeah. Where I have to write really quickly. Cause then I'll default to things that I do, you know, like, Oh, here's an Adam Kanawha thing. Mm -hmm. It ended like Adam Kanawha ends it, you know, like, yeah. Well, your name is on the piece. So that's that's true. <laughs> it, it should probably be, you know what I mean? I'm just playing there, there's the counter voice, right? <laughs> right, like, right. Well, of course I'm doing that because it's me and that's what I do. Yeah, yeah. And I've only got five minutes to, to finish this. So um, 
Yeah. But don't you think like, I, I feel like every piece is a little bit of everything else I've already written with just something a little bit different. Mm. Maybe. Or sometimes it's just another, it's just, I've done the same thing again, but maybe use slightly different materials. So I feel like it came out a little bit better, but it's still, you know, it's still a, a painting of a, a, of a beach. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's still, uh, I, I, you know, and, and so I wonder about that. I wonder about how different each piece really is. And if that's okay, I, I think it's okay because it's, I'm taking everything, all my experiences and I'm putting it there. And hopefully each time I add a little something to it. That's a really interesting question. Um, yeah. yeah. And whether that, like how much does that matter? Yeah. You know? And yeah, I think, I think you're very right. I mean, cause it's, you're, you write what you know, you, you sometimes try new things, but you only go so far with it or whatever. This is this is a pretty obvious one for you, but um, mm -hmm. when you go from writing uh, electronics and then writing purely for acoustic instruments, mm -hmm. how it, does your process change much, or is it the same? So um, there's always stuff missing when I write acoustic music. There's mm -hmm. always stuff missing. There's always parts of the music that are missing because I just I just know I want to I want to I can express myself better with or, or not better, but just I know like the how I want to express myself is with an electronic or some type of component like like doing just a string quartet like that just seems like I don't know I'd love to do it you know like if somebody commissioned me to do it like if somebody calls me up tomorrow and says Doug we need a string quartet I'll do it <laughs> done, done but the idea of just a string quartet is less exciting to me than well, we'd like to do a string quartet, but we'd like there to be like a little something, like a little electronics. Maybe you mic one of the instruments and then like, I don't know, maybe there could be like video and see if anybody opens the door like that, just an inch, then, 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 then we, you know, we're looking for helicopter rates, right. To get the helicopter. To right. Yeah. But, but no, like, so for me, when I write acoustic music, I often find myself leaving gaps. There's gaps in the music. There's missing parts because I, I just, I know, or I have a strong feeling that I want to fill it with, um, you know, some of the windowing and, and some of the things that I do in in purely drone or electronic music that I create because I think that's what's unique I'm like so it's a D major chord but why is it unique well because it's me writing it so it's different than because it, it's not anybody else writing it <laughs> but then it's a D major chord but then there's also this like sample behind it that um, you can kind of figure out what it is but you're not sure what it is but then there's a string quartet going on um, and then maybe there's a visual component too mm. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. So, so you you sort of um, consider yourself electronic composer first, or electronics is like your, the, like you said, like the way that you can most readily express what you're trying to communicate, sort of thing. You know, I've never written a symphony. Mm -hmm. I've never written an orchestral piece. That's correct. I, I was trying to make sure that wasn't false. I've written a band piece, like a wind ensemble. Excuse me, wind wind ensemble. I've written a wind ensemble piece uh, with just purely wind, wind ensemble, but I've never written an orchestral piece and I love orchestral music. I think it's fantastic. I think it's beautiful. I love the fact that there's that many people sitting on a stage creating music together. I love it. And it's organized and it, it sometimes it is and there's all these moving parts. I love it. And it's just this huge mess of a sound. 
but I don't know. And I'm what I'm 40, 41 now. So I don't know if, if I could express myself the best through, through, through an orchestra. I, I think I could probably express myself better, you know, using electronics, using manipulating sound. I mean, that's what an orchestra, you know, you can say in a very abstract way, uh, orchestral composer is manipulating sound and, and instruments. But, but I mean, I think the computer has a big part of how I create music. And I think that's, I can express what I'm thinking the best that way. Mm. For now, that might change. I, I have a thought and uh, uh, I want to throw it out there real quick. Great. And, 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 and you can totally reject this. <laughs> and, but I, I want to ask it too, because I feel like there are people who would listen to this and might, might get something. So I'm writing my first piece right now that uses fixed media. Great. And um, it's for oboe and fixed media. Great. And I, have, I use Reaper. Awesome. My thought to create the fixed media is to sample sounds, record whatever, me smacking my guitar or like, mm-hmm. I don't know, dropping glass, whatever. Yeah. Um, what do you think would be a smart way to approach this? Or how, how, what would you say to a student if I was your student and, and I came to you and I said, I'm, I'm writing this piece right now. I'm not sure how I should handle this. I'm mm-hmm. so used to writing acoustic music. Electronics is so foreign to me. Mm-hmm. If you were my student, I would say go, uh, Go become a lawyer. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's horrible. That's horrible. By the way, that I, I'm joking, or I'm absolutely joking about that. But I feel like there's some hot takes like that that happen in the teaching profession, where like a good teacher has a bad day, and that yeah. just you know, yeah, no. Uh, and and I don't mean to slight that question. What would be the best approach? Well, I don't know. I don't know what the best approach would be. I don't. I clearly don't. Um, how would I approach it? Well, I would think about the instrument. I would, I would think about what I'm writing for. I would also, if I w- was a guitarist, like you are, um, I would, I would, I think it's okay. You might be like, oh, I have to get away from the guitar, but it's like, you know, the guitar, you're a great uh, guitar player. So you know the instrument intimately, right? You play all different types of music on it. So why wouldn't you, you know, why, why not start there? Because couldn't the piece just be? Well, you said it's for oboe, right? So yeah, yeah. So, so we get. But uh, yeah, you know, some people like to go. Okay, so okay, a few actionable items, right? What are the tools? So you could go and sample the oboe. You could have them play notes. You could sample it. Um, you could use all different types of processes to manipulate it. Um, you could just create this really bizarre sound stage and have it be very improvisatory and have the musician play over the top of it. Um, so I don't know what the right way is, but, um, how would I approach it? It would probably, I would probably approach it by going and listening to great oboe pieces from over the centuries. Uh, and then I would go and find audio files of, of those recordings, chop them up, obliterate them, move them around, window them get some type of sonic landscape happening um, and then start to make some intuitive decisions about what I want the oboe to do and how I want the oboe to interact with that. So I guess my method is implying some uh, copyright infringement, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I think, um, but I think that's how I would approach it. So I don't know the best way. 
Uh, I like sometimes people ask the person who's commissioning it what they want, but <laughs> nah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um it makes me think uh chopping it all up and using pre-recorded material makes me think, is it James Penny who did that Elvis piece or something like that? Where he took yeah. like a fraction of a second of, of an Elvis piece and just like or Elvis yeah. song and like yeah right it was, it's right? like a plunder phonics and then um it makes me think of uh girl talk that was more recently um where uh, this dj was using you know the kind of acapella tracks and kind of tracked out versions of uh of different songs and sort of mashing them up mixing them together this was about 10 15 years ago before like the mashup was really like a a whole phenomenon now you can go on youtube and everything's mashed and put together and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know I would say too, why would it be any different than how you normally write music, right? Like just because it's fixed media and there's an oboe involved and you have to have some type of, you're probably gonna be using the computer more in the compositional process. Why would it really be, why would the approach really have to be any different than what you normally do? Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure you have a, a process, right? You have, you know, three very sharp pens or whatever, one half cup of coffee. Like I'm sure you have like a very like, like this I'm writing now, like this is what I do. I, I don't know what your process is, but um, so why would it be any different? Well, I don't good... know, I'm not, I, I don't know the answer to that, I, but yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, I, I think I think for me, it's the, the uh, unfamiliarity. There's that sure. discomfort. <laughs> right. And so, like you said though, I love this. You're like moving into discomfort, not, a full-on panic attack right, right, right. <laughs> like moving into yeah which is already you're kind of saying like doing fixed media maybe that's a little bit uncomfortable mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. but yeah i and everyone like says too like there's like as cumatic music there's acoustic music and there there is this like people put this like schism in between the two things and um you know uh and then film music right experimental music versus film music like you know people put these like categories and put these things into niches and or niche and um yeah i don't know i think that's helpful for like spotify playlists but I, i'm not sure that's really necessary when you're writing mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um that yeah yeah because then you're 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 kind of coming to it with the preconceived notion of what that thing is like like saying like oh um there's this there's this guy this this um <laughs> see I, I still don't know how to explain it there's this musician named fantastic negrita and um a few years ago my girlfriend and i discovered him mm -hmm. and we had no idea how to describe his music because it's like kind of bluesy but it's like heavy yeah. and uh and so we just sort of came up with this description called hardcore blues and so and the I, uncertainty engaged you right yes like, i'm not quite sure yeah yes and that was one of those yeah. things too where my ears yeah. perked up because it sounded like something familiar yeah. but it was also not you know there's yeah. that voice right yeah. yeah the honesty in it um yeah and uh and whenever whenever i would want to turn someone on to him i i mm -hmm. and i would be like oh you got to hear this guy and i was like i don't know how to explain it the way i think about it is like this but like you just have to hear it sort of thing and I always worry trying to categorize stuff because then, like I said, like people come to it with their idea of what that thing is. Yeah. 
and there's a lot of expectations by what an oboe plus fixed media needs to be right even the fact you called it mixed or you call it fixed media and you didn't call it tape yes or yeah. you didn't call it and computer and you didn't say electronics but usually electronics means that there's live processing going on mm -hmm. sometimes see the words don't even always mean what they mean too right true yeah so what is fixed because fixed media could also mean video exactly yeah, can. <laughs> a fixed media could be a painting I, bit, I mean, yeah. like, you, you know what I mean? Like, obviously we were like, okay, fixed media means there's going to be this weird soundscape going on behind it. Or maybe not. Maybe it's like a, a Mario Davidovsky type thing where it's like instrument plus two speakers, you know, interacting, mm. you know, in a very kind of tape plus instrument type of way. Or this maybe is, it's a, a soundscape, you know? Yeah. I love that you're breaking it down like this because it's, it's breaking down my... Uh, uh perspective on what it is or what it could be actually yeah but see i think we, we should you should probably wake up tomorrow or the next day and just start working on it yeah because i think we're right now i think we're we're stopping <laughs> you, know, we're, you, you know what i mean like we're stopping and like analyzing it as like what in the in 21st century culture what does fixed media even mean anymore right you know right. like and then like if you're trying to write like that's just gonna that's and think about the expectations behind that right mm -hmm. you know you, you think about brahms you know like taking years and years to write his first symphony living in the shadow of other composers and man there's a person who needed to keep moving and not get stuck mm -hmm. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I've definitely been dreading putting the whole fixed, you know, the uh, electronics, yeah. whatever you want to call it, you know, the fixed media aspect together. Cause um, I've started, I've, I've already been writing the oboe part, you know, right. cause that's what, that's what I know. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and I, I've, I've thrown things together on Reaper, like, you know, took some, took some recordings that we did through our Zoom calls. Mm -hmm threw on some effects, just kind of manipulated it, maybe like stretched it out uh, the time yeah. for how long it lasts yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and uh, like you said before, how like the amount of control you have using the computer, how the amount of control you have over the sound mm -hmm. is one of the things that really intrigues me about it. Like you can offset it pitch wise by yeah. however many right. micro sense you want, you know? Yeah. Yeah. um just just enough so that like over the course of like 25 seconds there's like one beat as in beating you know like the phenomenon of beating or you can make a 60 minute album off a three second guitar loop you, know, you can make a excuse me a 60 minute album and somehow you can through manipulation make that interesting yeah and so you can do a lot with very little or you can do very little with too much like i you know um, so yeah, so I guess I would be a horrible composition teacher for you then when I, if I just be like, I don't know, man, like just get up early and crank something out. Um, but, uh, yeah, maybe don't overthink it. I don't know. Yeah. I know what I would do. I know what I would do. And I think just being like, okay, well, I'm going to start by listening to the drone zone and then I'm going to start chopping up some files and, uh, seeing what ideas I come up with and, um, yeah, I would probably do it in reverse. I would do the the fixed part first and then figure out how the oboe incorporates with that. That's what a smart person would do. <laughs> no, that's just the way I would do it. I I think you are doing it in a very smart way too because now you're going to have this like 
your your the oboe writing will be this thing mm. right and the oboe writing i feel like in your piece most likely will feel like a composed very thoughtful thing mm. and maybe the idea is the fixed media will just enhance that a little bit like you don't have to have like 360 sound where things are like flying around the room and there's like a cannon explosion. And then like, you know, it's like the THX theme, like at the start of the movie, <laughs> it doesn't, it could be just like you add a little reverb and like, it just adds some ambience to it. Yeah. Or ambiance. Sorry. I'm from Buffalo. So ambience. <laughs> don't worry. I, I, I say all <laughs> kinds of things like, uh, um, my, my girlfriend picks on me. I say, uh, horror instead of horror movies. Oh, Oh yeah. What what is that? Is that Chicago accent? No, I'm from New Jersey. I don't even know if that's oh, New Jersey accent, honestly. I don't know. Yeah. Um yeah. How do you but say coffee? How do you say coffee? I say coffee. Oh, you do. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know if it, it's too powerful. <laughs> it might come out sometimes. Yeah. You know, like the coffee, yeah, bag of donuts sort of like piece <laughs> of shit, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It comes out when it does. And right. It's funny. Yeah. Me and my sister, you know, I she's really the only one I still know from Buffalo. And so we'll have conversations and uh it'll just one word will be it'll just be like, no, that's unacceptable. <laughs> we live in New England now. We can't <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> They'll know we're not from here. You <laughs> what, what is suppress our Buffalo name. Yeah. <laughs> it's like uh oh, that's funny. Yeah. Um what is is there a like a, a sort of buffalo like i think um you know i was talking with uh rob um uh, I'm forgetting, why am i forgetting rob's last name um fantastic composer and uh he's from uh northwest ohio central ohio and talent so talent right but like talent talent mm. so it's that like it's kind of like chicago where it's like a little bit further back in the in the mouth and uh yeah this is making me laugh because my girlfriend um yeah. she's from royal oak michigan which is right outside detroit yeah yeah that's literally how she speaks yeah like, well when yeah. she says she's my name she'll be like very talented. yeah yeah adam <laughs> yeah adam yeah 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 I always pick on her for it. <laughs> well, it's not like here in Boston they don't have a r ridiculous accent. Here. <laughs> I remember, uh, I remember, and people correct you here too. I was talking about, uh, I referred to Concord, mm. Concord, Massachusetts, and they're like Cacket. <laughs> I'm like, yes, Concord, and they're like, not Cacket. What you want is Cacket. You want Cacket. I was like, okay, okay. The Boston accent is one of my favorites. It's intense. It's, it's one of my. <laughs> <laughs> if you go to Southie, you might just be like, what, what is that? <laughs> but you still comprehend, you know, the brain still is like, yep, he, yep. I heard what that person said, but. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know there's like, what's the one area? Is it like pronounced, they say uh, Worcester or something or Wist yeah, Worcester. Worcester? Worcester. Yeah. But it looks like Warcrester kind of. Or, yeah. 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 Worcester. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like the street in Bowling Green, Ohio. It's spelled W O O S T E R, Wooster, right? So you can kind of, you can say it the correct way, but that would be spelled very differently in, mm. in England. Yeah. Here's an interesting one from Bowling Green. I don't know if you remember or if this is, yeah. you know, but um, people would say needs needs done, needs done. Like um, oh, the grass is. Yeah, yeah, like like the grass needs to be cut. It, it, it needs done. 
it, it needs, wow. you know, uh, the, the grass needs done or, you know, the laundry needs done. Really? I've never, I've never heard that. Never heard that? No, I never heard that while I was there. I mean, I was either in a practice room or at uh, Grumpy Dave's uh, down on Main Street. Oh, yeah, so yeah. I don't think it's called Grumpy Dave's anymore, but... Uh, oh, no, it still is. Yeah, it still is. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's like yeah. the sec uh, second floor above uh, Easy Street. That's right. The mm -hmm. Easy Street Cafe. Yeah. Great food at Easy Street. I don't think I've ever been in the Easy Street Cafe. <laughs> when was the last time you were in Bowling Green? Oh, it would have been 2006, I think. Hmm. Been meaning to get back for uh, the wonderful uh, music and arts festival that they have there, especially as, as far as experimental music is concerned. Um, it's fantastic and a lot of great people, a lot of great memories from there. Um, and uh, yeah, just haven't gotten back, but uh, you know, no time like the future. Totally, yeah. Maybe sometime you can be the um, Kier artist in residence. Oh, wow. Well, there's, that would be a great honor. Yeah. There's the, um, is it? Kipler, or uh, I can't remember his name. This this gentleman who was so kind to uh, donate to the the residency, and it's the um, I think his name's Kip. I could be wrong, but yeah. Kipler Electroacoustic Residency. Oh wow! Here. Oh, that's in the yeah. They have like the ten point. Is it the ten point yes. studio? Yes, yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. yeah um, well, it's a fantastic electroacoustic program, and um, you know, I mean, the facilities are great, and then just you know. Um, the faculty and of course Eleni and uh, you know um, you know just all the people that would come from you know around the world um, who were engaged in electronic music um, it was great it, in my master's program it was really great to have a very focused program on electronic music um, as a thing um, because in undergrad we we could do lots of different things but really having a hyper focus on electronic music I think that was well that's a lot of you know, of the music I write now. Like I was just saying, when I'm writing acoustic music now, I'm just leaving spaces for mm. for for electronic stuff that I, I I hope to put in later. And I'm very like hesitant to be like, well, I don't want to overscore it because I, I want to leave leave some room in the arrangement for messing around on the computer. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that D major chord has to come out at some point. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, but it's a D major chord with something going on sonically behind it, you know, yeah. something breaking down some type of distortion. And um, I mean, you know, punk music, like, I mean, it's the D major chord, but it's so distorted or it's, it's so um, affected that it, it resonates in a very different way. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, one thing I want to mention real quick, I think, I think we'll, we'll cut it off in a moment. Yeah, we've been going for an hour and a half. <laughs> oh, sorry. No, no. Did, no I beat, did I beat Alan's time? Did I beat? <laughs> Alan was, uh, he was a little over two hours. Oh, we, I can't do that. I can't, <laughs> no one can beat Alan. No one can beat him. Um, uh, my one buddy, Corey, actually, we went for over three hours the one time. Three hours? Wow. Yeah. I think it was like three did hours you, and 15 minutes. Did you guys take like a lunch break? or? Uh, there were there were two breaks, I think. There were two breaks. <laughs> <laughs> I think there, were, there was one or two breaks, but very brief. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but one thing, when you were mentioning your, your technique of windowing and, and, um, it, it's so funny because it made me think about one of the things that has helped me so much studying with Elaine was, um, she showed me this thing where once you write a version of your piece and you have it from beginning to end, she, she would, conduct um, was that conduct it? Uh, well, not that. But she would take like 
the actual, this is one of my pieces. She would take right. the actual paper, start yeah. cutting up the sections with scissors, scissors yeah. and then move it around yeah. and just look at it and see what it looks like by placing it in different spots. So now it's like, it's like, what was the ending might be in the middle or something or like, well, what would happen if that happens? Or maybe it's not the ending's now the middle, but it starts in the middle as a little like teaser, you know? Um, is that, um, was that written music? So like notes on a page or was that like the audio files or what, what was, she yeah, it was moving around. It was written music. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and she gave me this idea, which I have right here next to me, colored pencils. <laughs> uh, yes. Whenever I write a piece of music and like using colored pencils to like codify, yeah. like, I don't know. Oh, here's that swell that this piece does. So whenever that swell happens, that's in blue. And then uh, whenever I do this microtonal thing, that's in red. And then so you can visually see um, without having to really think about the music, oh, that thing happens here, but it never happens again. Right. I should probably bring that back that, because that is really, you know, like. Right. Um, and I think that's great because then if you're visually looking, you're looking at all these different colors and shapes and you're only seeing that blue line once. And so maybe you're like, well, why does, should it only, because sometimes things could only happen once, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a great technique. Um, you made me think about it when you had mentioned windowing and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's more about like just taking very, very small bits mm -hmm. and then, you know, through repetition and stretching, you know, you know, building them into something bigger. But um, yeah, no, um, a lot of great stuff from lessons with um, Eleni and, um, or Dr. L, as we, as we, as we called her in, in grad program, and um, a lot of interesting ideas. And, you know, I was talking about those voices uh, that I hear, um, and uh, definitely hers is, is the voice that I hear. Mm -hmm. And um, there's some things, you know, that where I'm like, well, I'm not going to do that anymore, or I don't, you know. There's, so there's some things I don't listen to, but there's a lot of things in there that, you know, I'm like, where do I go next? And I hear that voice. So I think that's the really positive part about teachers and what they can do for us is they can be sort of a, when we do start to second guess and when we do start to get sort of stuck, we can kind of go back to some of the mantras and some of the things that they give us and, and keep moving, you know, even if it's just like, figure it out at the end, like get a draft done, like get a draft to me. If I do, you know, I feel like working on my uh, a thesis with Eleni, it was very much like the deadline's coming. So have something for this deadline. And uh, so I often hear that voice, you know, just telling me to be like, all right, deadline's coming. Even if there is no deadline, there's always a deadline, but um, well, that doesn't matter right now. It needs to be done by Friday. So make a decision. That's, that's great. Well, I got to say too, that might be a good spot to even leave off the podcast. That'd be great. Um, before we before we end it here, though, mm -hmm. but uh, where can people find you? Do you have any any projects coming up that you'd like to plug? Or uh, you mentioned your album, right? Ambient Works. Right. Yeah. So uh, it came out in May, um, and it's available anywhere. It's available on Bandcamp. It's available anywhere where music is streaming. Uh, you can also buy a copy of the CD on uh, Amazon. It's uh, Doug Bielmeyer Ambient Works, uh, and it's uh, on Albany Records, uh, and it came out in May. Um, if you want to find out any other information about me, you can just check out DougBielmeyer.com. That's D-O-U-G-B-I-E-L-M-E-I-E-R.com. Um, that has links to a lot of great stuff. 
I'm also on all the socials. Um, I'm not throwing cheese on children or myself on those socials, uh, but I do have stuff that I'm trying to engage you with anyways. And that's just, they're all at, at Doug Bielmeyer, either at Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. No cheese, no cheese. No, no cheese, <laughs> not yet. <laughs> all D major. Yes, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome, well, Doug, thanks for being on the podcast, man. This is a, this is a really fun conversation. Absolutely, Adam. And uh, hopefully I'm going to start uh, taping for the um, next season of um, the process. So if you have some time, I'd love to. It's usually just an hour conversation. Um, maybe I could have you on that. I think that'd be great. Absolutely. I'd, I'd be honored to be on the podcast. Yeah.